Well, thank you, worship team. A small but mighty team this morning. Amen? All right. What a great start. Well, I'm Pastor Reg. If I haven't met you, I'd love to. Uh, welcome to Community Grace. Uh, for those of you who were not here, who normally attend and were not here last week, you're still processing this new stage. Isn't it nice? Now, I'm going uh, to answer the number one question of the last seven days. You ready for it? You've probably asked it. Where's the baptistry? Can we still do baptisms here? The answer is yes. This is Jim Robinson's expert architecture. Those panels right there are detachable, and under that is a finished wall under the baptistry. So now we need baptis baptisms. Who's ready to sign up for baptisms now? So we can see that as fast as possible. All right. Well, we'll that day will come. Uh, and if God's calling you to be baptized, let us know, and we'll, and we'll get that done. <clears throat> All right. So this morning, let's begin with the two probably the two most well-known verses in all the Bible. Uh, the first one is Genesis 1-1, very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the what? The earth, very good. Most people know that. Here's the earth, right here. Now, sometimes we call the earth the world, and sometimes we call the world the earth. We use those terms interchangeably. Let's look at the probably the most well-known verse in all the Bible, John 3, 16. Let's see what that says. For God so loved the world. Okay, so that's that world, that word. Now, what exactly is the world that God loves so much that he sent his only son uh, to die for it? He loves the world. Does he love the earth? I mean, all that water and the trees and the mountains they're, and the waterfalls, they're, they're beautiful. Is that what God loves? Well, in this case, what God loves, <clears throat> I guess our question for today is, what in the world is the world that God loves? And that's what we're going to talk about today. What in the world is the world that God loves? This morning we're going to look at, at one word, a word, which identifies the world that God loves. In fact, that one word, that one word is the center, listen to this, is the center of the focus of God's affection, of God's heart. And this word is in our sermon series title, and this word is actually the first word in the sermon title today. It is the word nations. If you don't have a, the, the bulletin, the sermon notes, uh, you can raise your hand and the guys will bring them to you right now. Those do help follow along. see some. Okay, keep your hands raised and Chris will put one in your hand. The nations, that's our key word. You know, but in American English, we use the word nations differently than the Bible does. When we think of the word nation, uh, usually the first thing we think of is what? Um, there's flags from these on our walls. Uh, the United Nations is made up of these, what is it? Countries, that's right. Now, nations can certainly mean countries, but when the Bible talks about nations, it means something different than countries, and we're going to see all about what that is, because it's at the center of God's heart, of the focus of his affection, as I've said today. The word nations in Hebrew and Greek are used over 3,000 times in the Bible, so we don't have time to go through all of those. Uh, that would be a very long sermon, uh, but we're going to look at what this word means, the nations what it means to God, what it means to us, and we're going to see it's a lot. So again, this word is at the center of God's heart, and it's at the center of Jesus' mission for his people and for his church. It's at the center of it all. So last week, we set up 
uh, this new mission series uh, with, if you were here, <clears throat> and if you weren't, what it was, was we looked at the Bible as a one story, the overarching story of all of the universe. It has a beginning, which is the first couple chapters in Genesis, the creation of everything that exists. God created the world. And then it has an ending, the new heavens and the new earth, when eternity begins in the last two chapters of Revelation. And then it has this middle, which is all the Bible, all of human history, including us today, right now. All of it is unfolding, one big story. We're going to continue that a little bit today, as we set a foundation for the rest of this sermon series, and that's going to become clear. But our focus today is the nations, how the nations are at the center of, of it all. And we're going to define nations and see what God says. And what we're gonna, the way we're going to do that is we're going to see the nations from four different perspectives today. We're going to see the nations from God's perspective, from our perspective as humans, from Satan's perspective, and from heaven's perspective. Those are the four perspectives today. Let's go ahead and get started. And I'll tell you, seeing the world as God sees it, Seeing the nations, the peoples of the world, as God sees them is a great blessing. It's a great blessing to us, and it's a great blessing to the world. But I'll tell you, there is, there, it's, it's crazy. This perspective that we're talking about today, God's perspective on the diversity of peoples, has never been under more attack in our country than it is right now. And so this message is extremely relevant to our lives right now, as it always would be, but it's especially volatile right now. Let's get in and see what God says. The first point is God established and loves the nations. So we're going to start by browsing Genesis 1 through 11. So if you have your Bible, open it up. We're going to start in Genesis 11, but we're going to look at all uh, three of these 11 first chapters in the Bible, and we're going to see where God established the nations. You might not be aware of the story of how the nations came about. Genesis 11 begins with, with an event that I find is equally as important on a global scale. It affects the whole wide globe as the flood. I mean, the flood was flooded the whole globe. That's a, that's a worldwide impact, right? Can't get much more of a worldwide impact than that. But right here, the Tower of Babel, the confusing of languages, and the beginning of people groups over the world I find equally as significant on a worldwide impact as the flood itself. So we're going to open to Genesis 11 and start at verse 1. And verse 1 is on the screen, or you might have your Bible open. Just take a, a minute to read verse 1 silently to yourself. It's a devastating verse. Go ahead and read it to yourself. All right, now your mind is stimulated here. You've read this. I've called it a devastating verse. The verse says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. Everyone spoke the same language. One language, one culture. And so you might be asking, what's so devastating about everyone understanding each other? The answer comes in the next few verses, but before we look at those to get ready to look at those, let's go back now to Genesis 1 and Genesis 9. Back in Genesis 1, after the creation of everything that exists, God says to Adam and Eve, first man and first woman, he gives them the first of all the commands that he's ever given humans. 
The first command, some people call it the cultural mandate. It comes in chapter 1, verse 28, and here it is. The first command he's ever given a human. It says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, fill the earth, and subdue it and have dominion over it. The fish, the birds, every, every, every living thing. So here we go, the, fir- the first mandate, the first command, what did God tell humans to do? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And God is setting up something that represents his character to the world. So hold on to that. Then as, we, as we've learned last week, and as you might, might know, in chapter 3, sin enters the world. Satan comes in and deceives Eve, and Adam transgresses, and sin enters the world. And of course, Satan's line is, did God really say? He knows that if you eat that fruit, you'll become like him, like God. And that is the trick that works on humans to this day, every single one of us. Yeah, I can be my own God. Well, as you know, the human race uh, took a, a hard turn and went south and got really, really bad. And we talked about this last week. All the hearts of all humans were on evil all the time, and so God sent the flood. That was his judgment. Except for Noah's family. He started over with Noah, one righteous family, and he rescued them. Now, coming out of the flood, here's Noah's family. The human race is going to start populating again. Look at Genesis 9, 1 and 7, and see what God says to this family. It's on the the screen. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, well, this looks familiar, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Then he repeats it in in verse 7, and you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply it. God just repeated to Noah's family the same thing he told Adam and Eve. Do you think he's serious about this? This is his will and his plan because it's going to represent his character and his whole plan for the world. In other words, God says, don't hang together, don't stay together. I want you to move out, spread out, and live all over the earth. That's what he wants. You see, from the very beginning, God wanted the human race spread out and to be filled with rich cultural diversity and to fill the earth with rich cultural diversity. His plan. His desire, his will. And we start learning about God. We start learning who, what what kind of a a God he is. He's a God who loves diversity, but a God who loves unity in that diversity. That's his character. And you see this all all over the world. You see this with plants, animals, and insects. And evolutionists will look at the vast variety, just millions of species and kinds of plants, animals, and insects, and say, wow, it's amazing that all these evolved out of total time and random chance from nothing and from no life. Uh, Isn't that amazing? But a person who knows God or believes that God is there, there's the creator, will look at all the diversity of the animals and plants and kingdoms and say, look at this amazing diversity. And all of this diversity lives in the same ecosystem. Same food chain, same animals. And yes, the duck-billed platypus does prove that a God has a sense of humor as well. (laughs) 
it's an amazing creature that, that has baffled evolutionists because there's no need for any of that to evolve in its form. <clears throat> so, now, God is a God of diversity and unity. That's, that's the point here. We also see that in the human DNA, just the differences in our natural DNA that all humans have, just so much variety, so much diversity, and yet here we are, we're all sharing the same human experience. This is God, God of diversity, but unity. Now he says he does the exact same thing from the beginning with linguistic and cultural diversity on the earth. He wants different languages and different cultures. There's a science of the study of language that's called the science of linguistics, and it shows that anytime somebody, a group that speaks the same language splits and goes far away from each other, this has been happening all, all of human history, eventually, it doesn't take too long, a separate language forms. That's just a natural event in, in human experience. And then a culture forms. And those, that language and culture would never have happened naturally if people all stay together. But that's what was happening right here in Genesis 11. If, if humans had just obeyed God's mandate and spread out over the earth, there would have been the rich cultural identity and diversity that God wanted all along because it proclaims his character. But they did not. They did not. In Genesis 1, God said, go. In Genesis 9, God said, go. In Genesis 11, the people said, no. And now we can read the rest of what happens at the Tower of Babel. Let's look at Genesis 11, 1 through 4. One again. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. A devastating verse. God's going to do something about it. And you see the, the heart of human, the human heart here develop in, as we read these verses. Verse 2. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the, in the land of Shinar and, and settled there. And they said to one another, this reveals the human heart, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth, which was God's intention. And they said two very important, prideful, sinful things here. God said, go. They said, no. There were two problems in their hearts. The first, they wanted to make a name for themselves. Now, this doesn't make any sense. There's one language, one culture, everybody understood each other. There's only one group of people. Who are they making a name for themselves against? There's only one other person in the world, and that's God. And that's the point. They're making a name for themselves against God. They wanted to replace God with themselves. We do the same thing. The second issue is that they just flat out refused to scatter. God said go. They said no. They were in complete rebellion against God, just as the human race had been before the flood, which is why God brought the flood to them. But instead of completely destroying the human race again through a second judgment, God, by his mercy and grace, said, no, I'm going to preserve them by scattering them. I'm going to force their hand to obey what I've told them all along to do by confusing their language, separating them into distinct groups of people according to language, and they will go, and that will develop the rich cultural diversity that we have in the world today. All of the people groups and diversity that we have today comes from this. 
So let's go on in the text a little bit and see what happens next. Verses 5 and se- through 7. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. In other words, they'll never turn their hearts to me. Never. I'm going to do something about it. And nothing that they pr- propose to do will, will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and there confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. And so it happened. Now, we go back a chapter, if you have your Bibles open, to chapter 10. Yes, this is out of chronological order, which bothers a Western thinker. Um, we see the result in chapter 10 and the story how it happened in chapter 11. So let's go back and see the result of chapter 11 in chapter 10. You see the genealogy of the nations. And chapter 10, verse 5, is the first time in the Bible of those 3,000 plus times our, our word, nations, appears. Chapter 10, verse 5. From these coastlands, peoples spread out in their, spread in their lands, each one with his own language, by their clans, in their nations. And then in the rest of chapter 10, we have the genealogy of Noah's three sons, Japheth, Shem, Ham. And if you count the nations listed from each of this genealogy, this table of nations, you see 14 plus 30 plus 26, you have 70 languages in Genesis 10. And remember what I said, the science of linguistics, as people separate over the world, those languages morph into new languages and new cultures. And today, we have over 7,000 languages, diverse cultures all over the world. We're very much far along into what God intended because all of us humans are made in his image. That means we reflect God, and together as a population, we reflect his glory and his diversity and unity. Let me add a side note here. These are big steps we can take towards fighting racism. You don't see the concept of races or racial division anywhere in in the Bible. There's only, that's because scientifically and biblically there's only one race. We're all the human race, there's only one skin color, there's different shades of the pigment, of the melatonin. Now, what we have is a lot of different cultures, ethnic cultures, and so we, we really need to drop the word interracial out of our vocabulary and replace it with cross-cultural. This brings the unity in the diversity that God has planned for the human race. One race, a lot of cultural diversity, ethnic diversity, and that's a good thing. I hope I've established that now. That's a good, very good thing. We have the same human race and we have the same mission from God and that is to bring God's good news and his relationship with all the cultures all the nations in the earth in the world and oh how the world needs this message today to bring us eternal salvation and light and life but also healing and unity this is the answer for it right here and this is our mission So let's skip to the end of chapter 10, the the last verse, verse 32, where the word nation appears again. It says, these are the clans of Noah's, of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, in their nations, and from these nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood, and it's happened, it's happened. 
The scattering has begun, and the scattering is still continuing. But let's stop at this moment and define the word nations now. We said it's not countries in, the, in biblical thinking. What is it? In the Greek, in the New Testament, the word is ethne. Sounds familiar, right? A definition is a group of people with their own language and culture. I'll give you a minute to write that down if you want to write that down. That's a definition we'll continue to use in this series and hopefully in our lives. This is the Great Commission. All the nations, that's the ethne, a, people, a group of people with their own language and culture. So let's just have a quick quiz to see if you're tracking with me right now. I'm going to give a few words on the screen, and you tell me yes or no. This is a biblical definition of the word nation. First one is Mexico. Yes or no? No. Very good. Way to be bold and fast. It's a country, which can be called a nation, but in biblical terms, there's a lot of people groups in Mexico. Let's, let's get a little bit closer, though. The next one. Mexicans. All right. So now they share a language. There's different dialects. There's still a lot of different cultures, cultural barriers. So we're getting a little bit closer with, with that term. Let's get a little bit closer even still with the next one. Hoosiers. Are Hoosiers a people group? Well, like I said, we're getting closer. There's a, you know, there's, there's, some dif- there's definitely some different languages and cultures, but, you know, we're, we live in Indiana. It's kind of a shared experience, right? We can communicate to each other as Hoosiers. So we're getting a little closer to the biblical term. Let's do, let's do, the, let's just get right there. Here's the next one. The Fulani people of Central Africa. Now we're talking. Here's a people group with a shared language, shared culture, and the gospel can spread, and the church can grow within that group with, without any, once it's there, without any outside missionary influence to bring the gospel of Jesus to them. And there's Mike Taylor right there delivering a Fulani baby, and that's really neat. And this is a people group that our church actually has an ongoing uh, relationship with and, and partnerships with. And we're actually considering increasing those partnerships as well, and We'll talk about that in a few weeks, and this is really exciting, how God may lead us to, to an unreached people group, um, special focus. So this is what we're talking about, though. These are the nations, the people groups. The world's full of them. God loves all of them, and not all of them have heard about him and have been set free by his gospel yet. And so we have our mission. Now let's finish the Tower of Babel text, verses 8 and 9, the last couple of verses there. Here's what happened. So the Lord dispersed them from uh, all over the face of all the earth, and they left building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. And God scattered them that day, and he's been scattering them all since then, and the nations and the people groups are still scattering today, still moving around, still migrating and I'll prove it to you, right here in Warsaw, Winona Lake, Kosciuszko County, we have an enormous number of people groups now, other nations. A lot of, most of you know that I grew up here, went to school in this very building, elementary school, but then I, I moved, and I was gone for 29 years, and then I came back. And in those 29 years, some things have happened. Uh, one, this, the population has almost doubled of this whole area, And two, it has gotten incredibly much more diverse than it used to be. 
hasn't it? Now, we all enjoy that. We enjoy all the, I really enjoy all the different options we have for restaurants now. And, uh, and it's a rich, culturally diverse place. Our new mission consultant, Jay Bell, who we've introduced, and he's becoming a fast friend to our church. As you get to know Jay, you'll get to know, and he's going to preach here next, next month, um, you'll get to know that he is a master at meeting people and connecting with people from different nations. And he has uh, told stories about, you know, he's, he's pretty well versed in Spanish and all the rich Hispanic culture that's been in our area for, for quite some time. But now others have come. Uh, he talks about the hotel owners from a certain place in India that he's met. He's talked about the sushi chefs at uh, Kroger and Martin's. This is fascinating. He's met them and talked and got, befriended them all. And they're both from Burma, both groups of these guys. And, um, but for, they're from two different people groups, the Burmese and the, and the Moan people, who don't traditionally like each other. So we have a little sushi battle here in Warsaw between Kroger and Martins. And so you're going to have to get to know them and figure out who's got the best sushi. Um, I've only eaten that from Martins. I haven't visited Kroger yet. So um, can't wait to. But isn't that neat, though? The Vietnamese, he says, have a corner on all the nail salon market in town. And uh, we know there's a rapidly growing Indian population in the orthopedic industry. And, and there are, I've met some Indian people that are Christ followers who are on a mission to reach that community right here in our own city. This is exciting. I love it. How neat. But the fact is, when you put cultural diversity and people from different languages, cultures, beliefs, and values together, what happens? <laughs> Do we always get along? No. The humanness of our flesh comes out. And here's where we come to our second perspective on the nations. The first was God's perspective. The second is humans. And that is point two, that people naturally, naturally distrust the nations. But God calls Christians to love them. Let me read you some reactions of distrust and dislike to the diversity of nations here in America. These are actual quotes. You can find a lot more of these online. Uh, you've probably heard these things. Maybe you've even thought them occasionally. Here's just some examples of just our human natural tendency to distrust and dislike people who are different th than us. Here's some quotes. Why can't everyone in America just speak English? Why do I have to listen to an airport announcement in Spanish in the Midwest while waiting to fly on American Airlines? <clears throat> We're losing our country. Uh, frankly, I don't like people from other cultures and languages. You may not like heaven then. Um, why do instruction guides have to have so many languages? I don't like my fast food order messed up because the person taking the order doesn't speak English well. And here's a, a newer one. All white people are racist and cannot change. These are the sentiments of the human flesh that are raging in our world right now. Always have. And some of these are funny and some are very sad but they're all very human, very natural. But the, here's the thing about God calling us to be his own and growing us to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. 
That is, we, ha- we have naturalist tendencies, but he has called us to be supernatural and to be filled with and follow the one who is supernatural. That's Jesus. To become more like him, to mature beyond these human flesh natural reactions, to be better, to be more like Jesus. Let me put it in different terms. Here is what is naturally in our flesh, all of us. This word right here, xenophobia. You've heard this word probably if you ever watch the news. It gets thrown around a lot. This is a compound word made of two words. Xenos means stranger, somebody who's different than you. And phobia, which means what? Fear. Okay, so there's a natural fear and distrust. And groups of people accuse everyone else of being xenophobic. Well, guess what? That is embedded in the heart of every human. It could be for a defense or maybe self-preservation, which could be good, but misused turns us all very biased, prejudiced, and distrustful and hateful and resistant to diversity. Here's what God calls us to be, to be filled supernaturally with the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ, and it goes under the term hospitality. This is hospitable. Biblical hospitality, that word is a compound word made of two Greek words, xenos and phileo. Xenos, there's your word stranger again, somebody who's different than you, but phileo means love. This is God's supernatural calling for all believers and followers of Jesus. And it just makes sense. And it's something we have to develop. The phileo love is a love of choice, of commitment. I'm going to do this whether I feel like it or not. God calls us to love the nations, and his mission is for us to reach all the nations. This is God, and and we are his people, and this is good for us and for the world. It brings glory to him. And we find Jesus, we find the word nations, again, in, in the Great Commission. There's part of it on our wall, and you see the word nations right there in it. I'm going to read, I'm going to put on the board again, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'm probably going to use this text in every sermon in this series. And that's because the whole Bible is, the, is a story of the Great Commission. But these verses in Matthew just happen to be just a clear, precise, really helpful statement. Uh, but the Great Commission is said in all four Gospels, and it's in Acts, and it's the message of the entire Bible. But here it is again. And Jesus came and said to them, as he was preparing to leave the earth, he said, all, look, all authority in heaven and earth is mine, but I'm, get, I'm giving it to you, and here's the reason. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. This is the heart of God. And then he gives some instructions, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then it never ends. There's always teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and that's the rest of our lives. And then a promise, and behold, I am with you always, always, to the end of this age, this part of the story, until the next part of the story, eternity, begins. In other words, we have been commissioned by Our Lord Jesus, every man, every woman, every child in our church and in the universal church to the mission that he gave his church, and that is to go and give the nations an opportunity to be set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful thing, and it's the lifeblood of the church and us as as individuals because it is the mission of Christ. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to get into the how. How does that look? It looks different from me and you and the the people in your row. Everybody's got a different wiring and a different calling 
And we're going to get into strategies and how each ministry and how each church does it differently. We're going to get into that stuff as the weeks progress. And I can't wait. I love all that. But right now, let's just build this heart. This heart for God and, and what God has a heart for. Let's build this heart for our fellow humans. That's our, our aim today. So God established and loves the nations. We naturally don't like them, distrust them, but are called to love and reach them. Now there's a third perspective that is driven by hate and is miserable and deadly. And that is number three, Satan deceives the nations into war. The New Testament makes it very clear that we are in a war. It's a spiritual war, and it is always raging. Even right now in this room, in this moment. Now, we're in a great, healthy place. But I tell you, that spiritual battle is still raging in us right now. You may have some disunity. You may be carrying a lot of baggage that's not yours to carry. And certainly when you go back to your schools and works and neighborhoods neighborhoods, and back to the the things you medicate the stresses in your life with and all the other footholds that the devil has in your life, well, he hates what God loves. He hates our health and our purity, and he hates the nations. The spiritual war started over here in Genesis 3 when sin entered God's perfect creation and humans chose to rebel against God and say, I want to be my own God. That spiritual battle will end someday way over here at the end of Revelation. We see when this middle part is over and God removes all sin and effects of of sin into eternity. But right here, (laughs) we're in it. We're in the middle of it. And the, the word that is the thread of it all is the word nations, peoples. Let's see what Satan, he hates God, he's angry at God, he wants to destroy everything that God calls good and everything God's want, and so the object of his wrath is the nations. All through scripture we see this. I want to focus in on Revelation 20 because we get a glimpse into the future through the Apostle John's revelation that he received from Jesus. But in that, we're going to see some end times events between Satan and the nations, but it also colors and explains why things are the way they are right now in the world we live in today. So I'm going to read parts of Revelation 20, verses 1 through 10. John writes, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit in a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And we cheer. It's going to be so great. It's the beauty of the millennial kingdom. And he threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him. Why? What's the the cause and what's the effect of that? so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. Oh. And we can, talk, we can study eschatology, the, the, theology of the end times, and it's going to be great, and we'll get to that someday. But let's look. It's not over. There's still some other events to come. So he might not deceive the nations any longer. He's, he's bound until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while, how it fits in the picture of all the end times events. 
What happens next? Verse 7, and when the thousand years were ended, Satan will be released from his prison. And what's he going to do as soon as he gets back out? Will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle, a great battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. But then that ends as well, verse 10. Finally, the devil who had, been dece- who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire this time, the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It will be over. The spiritual war will be over. But in the meantime, we're in the in-between time, and this is a battle, this is a war. It's a war for your hearts and minds and everybody else's in the world. Take courage from Jesus' words here in Matthew 16, 18, when he started the church. He's preparing the church to start. 2,000 years ago, he says this, Matthew 16, 18, he's telling this to Peter, and I tell you, Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Guess who's on the winning side? Now, I want you to notice something as you meditate on this verse. We often call Satan the enemy. But according to this verse, what you're looking at right now, who is the enemy that's attacking? The gates of hell, the gates are a defense mechanism. It's the church who is the enemy of the kingdom of darkness. And the gates of hell won't stand against the church who is faithfully worshiping God and following Christ in all that he's taught us and commanded us to do. And Satan is both afraid and angry. Anytime that a church or a Christian or a Christian home or family, somebody or anybody who's seeking God and following God, he's angry and fearful because he knows who's more powerful. Anytime they're confronting his kingdom of darkness and trying to bring good into the world. So he would much rather community grace follow far too many churches and stop preaching the word. And stop believing like maybe 20% of it or 50% of it. He, he would rather us follow his deceptions and the world's pressures than for us to follow Christ. But let's not make that happen at Community Grace, amen? We're very, very thrilled with our part on God's winning side. We have the words of life and truth. And we bring them with grace and with love as we follow Christ. Because fourth, God gives us the perspective of the end. That is, heaven is filled with all the nations. This is the perspective of the end. And it is fulfilled. All the nations are there. At the end of history, we're going to marvel at how abundantly and how, (laughs) how abundantly it's going to be to have all the nations sharing in worship to God, not having been made homogenous. We're not all going to be the same. Look at this scripture, what it's going to look like. Let's turn to Revelation 21, the second to last chapter in the Bible. We see God himself dwelling with all of the nations together and all the nations dwelling together. We looked at Revelation 7 last week and saw a picture of all the nations, tribes, tongues, peoples, all represented, all there. This just gives a little bit more depth to it. This is the last five verses of the second to last chapter in the Bible. 
John writes, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light will the nations walk. And the kings of earth will bring their glory into it. We have all of the diversity intact, sharing unity. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. It's fantastic and fascinating, and what a great thing to be a part of. Now I'm going to end with verse 27, and I want to ask all of you to just ask yourself the question, will I be there? Will I be there? Verse 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Will you be there? Look, another truth, all humans are detestable. <laughs> And we do what is false, all of us. That's why we're saved by our faith in Christ's sacrifice, his perfection. And he offered it to us, and he died for us to give it to us, and he offers it freely. Have you received it today? Have you received Jesus' forgiveness and cleansing of anything in your life that's even remotely detestable or false or wrong or painful? He takes it all away. And gives you his righteousness. And writes your name in the Lamb's book of life for eternity. Now, the next question is, will all the people who God has placed in your life be written in the book of life? And that's a question that we're on a mission to answer. Yes. And so we share the gospel. We're on this mission in our own town, among the nations that are in our own town, and anywhere else in the world that God gives us influence. And that's the strategy that we'll talk about in the coming weeks. But for now, just let this penetrate your heart and see how God's going to shape you and call you this summer. We've got this picture, heaven's perspective. It's going to be a living, beautiful colorful, energetic mosaic of all the people groups, of all the nations in the world. With our identity and our culture and our language and our food all intact. Oh, isn't that going to be great? That's our picture. We all share in it, diverse and unified. That's cool stuff, but we're on a mission right now to make it happen. So what does this mean for us today? We started... This morning, this morning with John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. This is a mission verse. He sent his son. He sends his church. He so loved the world. That's the nations of the world. It's not the earth, as nice as the earth is. It's the nations of the world. So our response should be what he commands, and that is be imitators of God, love the nations. I had two next steps for us to put that into practice today. The first one First, again, today's point is the heart, to establish the heart for God, the relationship with him and your relationship to the world. Embrace the creative, diverse work of God's hands. They, you don't like them. Some people make you mad. Some people hurt you. 
Jesus taught us, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There's boundaries there to be careful. There's wisdom, there's health. But in our hearts, we love. We love the peoples of the world because God does. And because we're going to be with them in eternity. So it's probably a good idea to, to start loving them now. Also, learn to welcome the nations in your life, in your home, in our church. Welcome the nations into our lives since they are being scattered by God and many are here in our community. Beware of agendas. Again, I think this is, these are signs that the Bible prophesied of the end times. There's going to be more and more of a global hatred of the things that God loves. There are agendas that are empowered and emboldened right now that are out there to divide us. Right? They're out there to get us to live in fear, distrust, and division and hatred among everybody. Those are anti-God agendas, everyone. We've looked at God's agenda and his mission and his heart today. They do it to maintain control and power. God does his to bring healing and freedom and unity in the diversity. It's a beautiful thing. It's a stark contrast. Be aware of those agendas. If this is the day of your, of your salvation, you can be in God's family today. If you call on the name of Christ, I encourage you to do that. And let us know on the communication card or come talk to me or somebody else who you know at the church. And then next, this is the final charge for today, and that is to pray this week, asking God how you will be involved He's got a special calling for you. Ephesians 2.10 says that he has prepared work for each of us to do. He says we're all his masterpiece with a special work for us to do. We're going to get into that. We're going to discover how that looks. But today and this week, will you commit to praying? It all starts with prayer. In fact, you're going to be kept in the dark until you pray. Pray to God. Talk to God. He loves to answer our prayers. Let's close in prayer right now and, and begin that a little prayer movement this week before we get into more details in the coming week. Lord, we worship you. And if we start there, everything else in our lives that we don't like starts to make sense and to be answered and cleared up. So we worship you. We praise you for who you are, for what you've done, for what you're doing, for all that you've shared with us, for being the all-powerful God and all-loving and all-knowledgeable about our our situation. I pray that this church would be a praying church and that we'll start a prayer movement this week and then be ready for how you're going to guide us and direct us and bless us as we obey and follow Christ together. I pray you'll give us a heart for the nations, just overflowing, that is really hard to explain naturally because it's supernatural. Lord, our praises and songs are powerful, so we return those to you right now. Move in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.